Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Why would John the Baptist be launching his renewal campaign using this quote from the prophet Isaiah? Isaiah 40 would have been one of the most popular and well-known texts for the Jewish people, especially for those experiencing tremendous hardship. Isaiah 40 contains beautiful words of comfort for the people of Israel who had languished basically as slaves in the, in the land of Babylon, having been carried off by the Babylonian Empire after Jerusalem was brutally conquered and destroyed. I really encourage you to read chapter 40 of Isaiah yourself. You could even turn to it right now. From front to back, start to finish, it is beautiful. It's worth memorizing. We only read the beginning of what John himself decided to quote, but I'm actually certain that he was quoting the entire scripture passage. But why? Why is he quoting this particular piece and using it as his stump speech? And why is it that all four gospel writers, even though they vary widely in describing John the Baptist and, and saying when he was, uh, he, he was preaching, and, and just sort of like some of his, his overall messages, yet all four of them include him starting off his ministry with the, this quote from Isaiah. Prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah's message to the exiled people is that the way of the Lord is being paved from exile to liberation. Isaiah pronounces judgment on the nations and the princes and the rulers in the middle of this chapter, Isaiah 40, and calls the people to take a different path, away from war and into peace. For Isaiah, the way of the Lord is both a physical road from Babylon to Judah, and it's also a mode of life which defies the ways of empire and commits to a different world under mutual care and right living. And John the Baptist's audience would have immediately picked up on those 800-year-old liberation themes of Isaiah. But they, they also would have heard a brand new application for that prophecy, specifically in the use of the phrase, the way of the Lord. See, in both the Hebrew and Greek, and the Latin, actually, which was brand new to the region, the word way, the word for way, is indistinguishable from the word road. So, hadas in Greek, which is the root word in this passage, quoting Isaiah, is the same exact word for road or highway or path. It's what would have been posted on the street signs. And it's also used metaphorically to mean way of life. And I think it bears mentioning here that the Latin cognate for hadas is via, which was also used in both literal and metaphorical ways. Via. And it was a word that was used a lot. A lot. I learned this week through a podcast with a historian named Simon Elliott, 
that the Romans had developed the most sophisticated road-building system in the world. It had never even been conceived before. And they had committed to road-building as one of the primary methods of expanding their empire. See, roads were way cheaper than waging physical war and more permanent. And these elaborate road systems, I mean elaborate, were an effective way of seducing the neighboring territories and even enemy nations to bow their knees to Caesar. These roads were truly amazing. And even some of them are still preserved and functional 2,000 years later. The paving stones were massive and they were bound together with melted iron. And I'm talking about 50,000 miles of roads paved this way. Just eight years ago, a small Roman road was just unearthed, they didn't even know it existed, was just unearthed outside of Jerusalem. Some of it perfectly intact, just covered over. And it was 26 feet wide with ornate curbstones flanking its ends the whole way. And, and like a huge aqueduct system underneath it. So even the most anti-Roman officials or cultural leaders of any city would find it very, very hard to resist welcoming such sophisticated technology. Roman roads were smooth, sleek, durable. They improved not only travel conditions, but also trade and the speed of information. I'm really not kidding when I say that the, the beginning of the Roman road building campaign was, uh, was like the cultural equivalent of the development of the internet. And it was expensive, but it was worth every denarii to Rome. And here's why. Roads were the definitive stamp of dominance in each and every region of this massive empire. There were an estimated, as I said, 50,000 miles of roads built by the Romans that we know of, primarily built by the Roman military. And these roads functioned as a sort of map of their conquest. They knew that these roads, that these vias, these ways, were proof positive that the entire known world was dependent upon Rome and its Caesar. Have you ever heard the term, all roads lead to Rome? Well, that was literally true. It was a big spider web. As there was a huge, there was actually a huge monument in the middle of the city of Rome, uh, near the intersection where three of the major roads, the biggest roads, met which carried inscriptions of all of the highways and the byways and the side streets built throughout the empire and especially had all of the names of the cities and the rulers who had then bowed to Caesar in submission because of the Roman way. The Roman roads, and therefore the Roman way, was the only legitimate way. And that was really good news to some, and it was really bad news to others. Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord.
In the time of Jesus and John the Baptist, there was an ancient road that connected Damascus to Jerusalem, which the Romans had repaved and reconstructed. For centuries, it had been called the King's Highway, or in Hebrew, the Darek Hamalek. But the Roman military had renovated it and officially changed its name to the Latin Via Regia, which essentially meant the same thing, the way of the king. But under the Roman emperor Trajan, they decided to clarify exactly what they meant by that, naming it to the Via Traiana Nova, which translates to the new Trajan way, the new emperor's way. This highway incidentally ran along the Jordan River, not far, in fact, from the site where John the Baptist was preaching and where Jesus was baptized. The roads of Rome, the ways of Rome, were largely embraced by those who benefited from them. These highways brought wealth to some and communication of good news to some and protection and the ability to forge alliances for some. But for others, it was the route through which the oppression of empire consolidated itself and was codified. Exploitive taxes and tributes were made way more efficiently collected and ex extracted. Roman military presence was way, way, made way more permanent, even if just for road maintenance and highway patrolling. And roads were among the most popular sites of public ex executions through beheadings or crucifixions because it was a powerful way to get the message out. Do not disturb the peace of Rome. Abide instead in the Roman way. And I wonder how the people by the Jordan River heard the message of John the Baptist that day, not far from the Via Regia, the way of the king, listening to those familiar words of Isaiah. Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. I've been asking myself all week, why does this message from the Hebrew prophets resonate so much with me? Right now, especially in this first century, especially knowing the first century context. I mean, maybe it was Pastor Terry's sermon last week that really got me thinking about the ways of America. Which ways of America, what logic of our own empire, are we being forced to accept as the only way? The only way of moving or thinking or, or living? Which roads have been paved in our midst, around me, around us, that are at the, at, at the same time obvious institutions of oppressive systems and, and violent systems for some people, and yet they're also, for others, believed to be instruments of progress, safety, and even prosperity. I, it might not surprise you, but I could not stop thinking about the prison system in America. Did you know that there are more than 2.3 million people behind bars in the United States? Did, did you know that there are more than 7 million people under some form of correctional control in our country? Are you aware that the U.S. is a global outlier in incarceration and that our country incarcerates more of its own citizens at longer rates than any other country in the world, including the countries we condemn as being undemocratic or politically suppressive? 
Did you know that there are at least six countries that have come here to study our incarceration system and even employed prison manufacturers to come and build supermax prisons in those countries? Brazil, Rwanda, Mexico, um, India, and others. Did you know that? See, the wild thing is that I think most of us do know most of the things I just shared, <laughs> actually. Our society has been openly talking about mass incarceration and the new Jim Crow and the racist history and racist outcomes of our prison systems through best-selling books and award-winning movies and hashtag slogans and liberal catchphrases for more than a decade now. And still, as a nation, our prisons are actually just as full as they were in 2010. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, I promise you, that very few politicians and administrators want to take a strong stand on closing prisons or to condemn the entire system as harmful or as ineffective or as evil. New Jersey led the nation in prisoner releases and overall decarceration measures last year, which is amazing and incredible. But I promise you, it is not because our governor or the majority of our legislators believed it was a good idea. It was because people of faith and moral conscience rose up and twisted arms and organized and even publicly shamed these, our elected leaders, into making the right choice. I remember being on a very frustrating phone call in June of 2020 with one senator who I will not name and one former governor who I also will not name, but you can do your own research. The words spoken to us, the advocates, who were demanding mass releases during a, a deadly pandemic were this, and I quote, there's just no way we can do this. No way. No way. Friends of God, I, I wonder if our, our issues with truly making change do not primarily stem from our lack of knowledge or our political strategies or even the adequate funding of our campaigns or programs. I wonder if the fundamental problem here is that we cannot see past the way of America. The, it's the modern-day roads of Rome, and our vision is so limited by what is that we cannot see what can be. And actually, that's not even putting it right. I think maybe my problem with truly working for change and demanding change for the abolition of prisons and the systems that hold it in place is that I tend to see reality through the logic of the American way, and I cannot see what the prophet sees, which is this. Not only is there a way, it is already built. A path toward exile, a path from exile to freedom is already hewn in stone, but also the current ways of exile and, and enslavement, the current ways of exile and enslavement have already lost. They have already been toppled. They're doomed to fail, and they're completely undone by the ways of God. This is what Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, saw when an angel came to him and, and told him about who his son was going to become. Zechariah's prayer is captured just a few chapters earlier, and he says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for God has looked favorably on the people and redeemed them. 
Mary, when she was visited by the angel and told she was pregnant with the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the liberator, she belted out, God has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Not will look favorably, not will redeem, not will bring down and lift up, not will fill the hungry and send the rich away, has done these things. God has done these things. God's way has actually already been built, and we are called to prepare that way, perhaps in the same way that we prepare the table for a meal. Justice is, is not served through punishment. I'm going to say that one more time. Justice is not served through punishment and brutality. Is the commutation, for example, of Julius Jones, an, in, an innocent man on death row, who now has a life sentence instead, is that justice? Did you know that almost every single person on death row dies in prison from, from natural causes? Natural is an exaggeration. It was, a, it was a massive success to organize and force the governor to commute that sentence, but is that all we get? Is that all we want? Is the conviction and imprisonment of white supremacists and gun fanatics our only recourse to justice? Is punishment and trauma and torture our only and best response to harm? Trust me when I say that justice must be done and violence, especially violence against the most vulnerable, must not be condoned or ignored ever. But why should we settle for the American way of justice when it only exacerbates harm and routinely denies input or oversight from the victimized communities? It shouldn't be the best option for us to say, ah, oh, I hope they get locked up. Prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord. Maybe abolition, or the declaring of a new world, isn't actually the act of removing something, like closing prisons, or firing police, or even just removing certain criminal penalties. Maybe abolition means, instead, the presence of something totally different. Maybe it's not the absence, maybe it's a presence. This week I read an article about a program at a high school in Shreveport, Louisiana, called Dads on Duty. Did you read this? There were over 20 high schoolers either arrested, suspended, or expelled within three days, three days at Southwood High School, and a, a group of dads decided to form a program called Dads on Duty, which trained fathers of high schoolers in methods of positive interactions, violence prevention, and de-escalation, and then stationed them in the schools on shifts, five at a time, each day, every day. Michael Lafitte Jr., one of the founders of the program, was quoted in the article saying, we're dads. We, decide, we decided that the best people who can take care of our kids are who? Are us. These dads, most of them work full-time jobs. They're still faithful to attend school days and also extracurricular activities and sporting events. And folks, it worked. Removing the police from the school of 1,500 kids and instead having parents patrol the halls armed with nothing but knowledge of their kids and a fully loaded arsenal of dad jokes. It reduced 
violence, and increased security. One student said, quote, I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting. People started going to class. <laughs> you know? Abolition works if and only if we stop walking the paths built by falling empires and failing empires. We cannot close prisons safely or reduce harms created by the police systems and the court systems and social service systems if we cannot see other ways of ordering human society. We must prepare the way of the Lord, and that starts with our own relationship to justice and, and peace. When has punishment or brutality ever created justice, friends? When has harshness or isolation or shame led to peace? When has violence ever created the conditions for lasting security and safety? But here's the good news. According to the prophets, it is our task to prepare that way. And I don't know what that looks like for you or for me, for us specifically, but I'll tell you the things that I'm working on. I know I've been talking a while, but I'll, just, I'll, st I'll end with this. With God's help, I want to stop using silence or withholding or shaming to be my method of, of conflict resolution with my kids, with my spouse, with everyone in my community. I don't want to withhold. I no longer want to rely on punishment and pain infliction as an instrument of justice at all. I want to meet harm with compassion and support. I, no longer, I want to no longer silence or cancel or curse any other person even though I am committed to also establishing and maintaining healthy boundaries to minimize the harm that people can inflict on me and on others. And I know that's difficult, and I know it's not going to be easy, but I'm reminded, folks, of some of the last words written down from our patron saint of the incarcerated, the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote these words from a Roman prison, may have been some of his last, to encourage his community in Philippi, who actually incidentally called themselves the way. Interesting. Anyway, he wrote these words, and I'm hoping that we can claim them today. He said this, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.